Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. I'll turn myself on here. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, yeah, I, I'm just curious. How many of you have served or are serving? Could you stand up so we know who you were? Henry, you've served? Yeah. All right, let's give him a thank you. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, my dad served in World War II. I've not had the privilege of serving, but, but he did. All right, we're in a series, meaning we talk about a certain topic for a couple of weeks, and uh, the series we started last week or two weeks ago was Family Matters, and today's topic is their life after marriage. If you were here last week or tuned in, we talked about how to choose a mate, find somebody that you're compatible with, and we talked about being compatible with uh, <clears throat> character and communication and, and, of course, physical compatibility. And uh, for those of us Jesus followers, spiritual compatibility was really important. And then given it enough time, so if you've done all those things, and then you've gotten married, then you live happily ever after, right? That's where all the movies end, right? Uh, no, it doesn't always, well, it doesn't happen that way, does it? Uh, there is life after marriage, but uh, what type of life is going to be? So we hope it's a, a great life, a productive life. Uh, someone's put it this way, love is blind, <clears throat> but marriage is an eye-opener, okay? <laughs> so you don't really know that person completely until you actually are married and, and live together in, in, in marriage. But men and women are different. We talked about that somewhat last week, too. <clears throat> and when you're dating, we try and kind of uh, blend those differences. So, for example, the guys will go shopping with the gals. Or the gals would go fishing with the guys. I know I'm kind of stereotyping here. Uh, you talk constantly, right? <clears throat> uh, when my wife and I were dating, I was living in Middletown. She was in Mapleville. It's not very far, but what we kind of did was we'd see each other every night. And, and the nights we didn't see each other, what did we do? Talked on the phone, right? So you just talk, 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 talk when you're dating. So uh, someone said uh, <clears throat> men have brain surgery between the wedding ceremony and the honeymoon. Um, so something changes. So they stop going shopping, they stop talking, uh, she stops going fishing, and uh, uh, things just change. <clears throat> so we're different, but difference can be good. Uh, one way we're different, in my house anyway, <clears throat> my wife likes to make the bed every day. I think that's a waste of time and energy myself. <laughs> so when she goes away, she went away for a week in, in Dominican Republic, as some of you know. How many times did the bed get made? It got made the day she was coming home. <laughs> uh, same with dishes. All right, she usually washes dishes every day, a dishwasher, whatever. Uh, when she was gone for a week, how often did dishes get done? The days that she came back, <laughs> that's how much we did different. So we're different, all right? Uh, obviously, if she's home, uh, things, things are different. But that's okay. Uh, but marriage, we're different, and it can be a problem or it can be a, uh, I think, when done right, it can be a benefit. So I want to talk to you about some ways that uh, you can continue to have life, uh, your marriage can grow uh, after the ceremony, all right? So here's the first one. You need to form a joint partnership. You need to form a joint partnership. Uh, it's surprising to me that that... that Marriages aren't this way. Um, 
it seems like it would be natural. And I talk to couples before I marry them, I, I say, you've got to avoid the, what I call the 50-50 marriage. Because the problem with the 50-50 marriage is the guy's 50s over here <laughs> and the gal's 50s over here. And there's a space in between that nobody claims. So for, for a good marriage to work, it's got to be 100%, 100%. I'm all in. She has to be in. All in. You have to be in. Now, do we divide up roles and responsibilities and work? Absolutely. In our house, like I said, my wife makes the bed and, and does the dishes and I do the lawn, yard work and fix the cars and all those kind of things. Uh, kind of stereotype, but that's the way we do it in our house. In your house, it may be different. I take care of the finances. Your wife may take care of the finances. You divide up the labor. The labor may be 50-50, but the, the marriage has to be 100% in. <clears throat> I like, to use, I like sports, especially basketball, and there's a basketball championship going on now, and, and they often talk about the team that wins, the team that loses. And the biggest difference often is, they have superstars, but the biggest difference often is, is how much, what do they call those things when you, uh, assist, that's the word I want for, how many assists the team has. And the more assists they have, the better the team normally play, plays, and the team with the most assists usually wins. That means they pass the ball, they share the ball. <clears throat> so it's an equal sharing. The more equal the sharing, the better the team plays. Now those of you who are parents, or if you remember being a child, what is one of the hardest things you have to teach a child? Is to share, right? So they have this nice, bright, new toy, and a cousin comes over, a friend comes over. They don't want to share the toy, right? And so you have to teach them to share. We're all selfish by nature. But why is that? And part of the big reason is because I'm afraid if I share it, I will have to share more than I get. I'll have to give more than I receive. And uh, kind of silly with kids, but in a marriage relationship, it's huge, right? So that's where the 50-50 comes thing. I'm afraid to share because I'm going to share more than, than I receive. And so I start drawing that artificial line, and that's where the problem comes. Again, because their 50 and your 50 aren't, are, are never the same. And so there's that area of potential conflict. Now Peter, who was one of the disciples and leader in the early church, uh, wrote some letters, and in these letters he, he did some theology kind of stuff, but he does some really practical stuff. So in what we call 1 Peter, in chapter 3, uh, he's writing, well, chapter 2 he writes like instructions for slaves, which we don't, shouldn't have today. Then he talks about, in the beginning of the chapter, to women and uh, we might have a little problem with some of that stuff, but it was groundbreaking, revolutionary in, in, in the, the day that Peter lived, the first century. Um, but then he gets to men, and he only has this one verse for men. And I think us men like things short and straight to the point, right? And so that's what he does in this, in this passage. And he addresses men this way. He says, in the same way you husbands, all right, so women have responsibilities in marriage and in the same way men or husbands have responsibilities you must honor your wives and that word honor means to put on a pedestal and we hopefully we tend to do that when we're dating but that might disappear after marriage right so you honor them you respect them you place them in a position of honor treat your wife with understanding as you live together and again we're different we think different we feel different and so I'm going to seek to understand my spouse, how they are different as we learn how to live together. Now, this part gets, kind of gets knocked, but I don't think it should be. 
She may be weaker than you. This is referring to physically. And for the most part, women are just not as physically strong as men. I think sometimes they're stronger emotionally and, and mentally than us guys, but they certainly aren't physically. So that's all he's saying. Be aware of that. Be conscious of that. My wife likes to say this to me. I'm a delicate flower. That's the term she uses. So she wants me to treat her like a delicate flower. <clears throat> but she may be weaker physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. God, grace comes equally to men and women. We both enter into a relationship with God equally. And in marriage, we are to be equal partners. Now, what does that look like? Now, Jesus is our example in all aspects of life, even though he wasn't married. Peter, by the way, was, even though he's considered the first pope, which is kind of ironic. But Peter was married, had a mother-in-law. Um, Jesus came to seek and to serve, which is mind-boggling because this is the God of the universe, the one that created us, that holds the universe together, and he came to serve. If anybody should be served, it should be him. And he came to serve. Serving requires sacrifice, right? Some way to think about this, when you marry, you give up some rights. You give up a lot of rights, actually, but you give up the right to act independently. You give up the right to make independent decisions, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. <clears throat> and Jesus gave up his right to be served, to serve. And as a spouse, husband or wife, especially guys, talking to guys, we are to outserve our wives. So when it comes to decisions, this is a challenge. We have equal voice, I guess you would say. Equal partners in decision making. Now, we may defer, like my wife will say, you know, if you want to buy this tool, go ahead. I don't know anything about tools. And she wants to buy something for the kitchen, I say, go ahead. But we have equal input on decisions. I want to flesh that out a little bit with a couple other things here. First, everything must be in common. Everything must be in common. That means you don't have your stuff and I have my stuff. Now, I have a car. My wife's car, and we have a car I call my car. We both drive both cars. It's really not his or her car. It's just the one we drive the most. They're our cars, right, in our house. And ours. now, obviously, I have tools. My wife wouldn't call her her tools, but uh, that's just semantics, right? We have everything in common. I really discourage couples to having his and her checkbooks. I, I just don't think that's a good idea. You can have in your budget his and her money that the other person has no no say about, but uh, financially is a good indication that if they're separate checkbooks, there may be other areas that you don't have in common. So have everything in common, not his and hers, but ours. Secondly, every decision must be made on the principle of agreement. So this is difficult because we're all different, right? We see things differently, but that's one of the advantages of marriage is to get more than one perspective. So we can make a better decision when there's two people with two, two different ideas, two different perspectives. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, it gets a little easier because if you're both Jesus followers, it's not what I want. It shouldn't be what she wants. It should be what God wants. Now, sometimes that's hard to figure out, but our goal should be what does God want? And in marriage, of course, he wants us to do these things that make our marriage stronger and better. But it's hard to agree sometimes, isn't it? 
So I'm going to give you three principles that Deb and I use when we are having trouble agreeing on something. <clears throat> first, you need, uh, where I go first is I need more information. I just, I just tell my wife, I, I, you're not telling me enough. I don't, I don't know enough. Is this something she wants to buy or whatever it is? Uh, have you checked this? Whatever. I just like information. <laughs> and I think the more information you have, the better decision you can make. That's just the way I operate. So get more information. But say you got all the information you can get which is kind of hard in our culture because you can always Google it something else probably. But you've decided you've got enough information. The second thing then is you need just more time to process. All right, so yeah, I, I got all the information, but I've got to think through this a, a little while. In my case, I would say we need to talk this through some more, maybe pray about this some more, and whatever. Just I need more time to process this. And anytime I'm making a major purchase and somebody's trying to push me saying, well, this deal goes away today, I walk away from that immediately. I just do. I know with cars, you got three days to change your mind, but in most things, uh, I, you know, I just, I, I, I want my time. I want time to process. I want time to make a good decision. And that kind of leads to this third one. And this is a principle I use in a lot of areas of life. <clears throat> but when you can't agree, when in doubt, just don't. Now you think back on your life, when did you make the most mistakes when it came to doubt? The more mis- I, in my case anyway, we made more decisions when we went ahead, when in doubt, than when we didn't, when, it, when in doubt. So, when in doubt, don't. Again, give it more time. Another thing when it comes to this joint partnership is this. God can change your spouse's mind and or heart, right? I may be against something, and uh, even after I've looked at the information, but after time, again, uh, I might change my mind. I might change my perspective. A heart's more about emotions. I might, might change my feelings about something. I may not feel good about doing this or doing that or not doing this or not doing that. But after time, and again, and my, I would be praying through some of this, and I would say, you know, God can change that. I, I have a different perspective. I have a different feeling about that. And the great thing about marriage is you, my wife and I are quite different, and so it, they, we tend to balance each other out. Uh, one of the areas that I really appreciate my wife for now, it was a struggle at the beginning, is my wife is a giver. And she's a compassionate person. And she always wants to help people. And when you don't have much money, it's a struggle. Now, we have enough money now, it's a little easier to do that. But we'd had this kind of inside joke. If, you know, she wanted to help somebody, and she would ask me, how much do you want to give? And I'd say, how much do you want to give? And it was almost always, she wanted to give twice what I wanted to give. Almost every, every, every time, it was almost like bizarre. If I wanted, she wanted to give 40 bucks, I wanted to give 20 bucks. Anyway, we got to the place now, I ask her what she wants to give, and she says, is that all right? And I usually say, yes, that's all right. Even sometimes I say, maybe we should give even more than that. So I've learned that from my, from my spouse. I say it this way, we are better together then we are separate. I'm a better pastor, I'm a better person because of her, and hopefully she is uh, because of me. But there's a basic principle in Scripture about this. Any decision, any group, any person, get the confirmation of other people, right? So I can give information about a decision to, to some of you and seek godly counsel, especially if it's a godly person. Say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think we should do? And we operate as a church that way. I don't make the decisions. Some churches do that. Patrick makes all the decisions. I don't make the decisions. I, I, without confirm, uh, getting confirmation from other people. So in marriage, at least you have one other person to confirm. And it's interesting to me, sometimes my wife 
will have perspective on things I don't think she has knowledge about. I don't know if that's an intuition or what that is. But it's amazing to me. Sometimes she'll have insight in something that she doesn't seem to have expertise in. And even then she can be, be, be wise. So then we're going to look at a scripture, a basic passage of scripture today. It's in Genesis, way back at the beginning of the Bible. And I know for some people they think this is kind of a myth or just a made-up story. And that's fine. If that's what you want to believe. Some of us believe this actually happened. This was true. But the principles are good no matter if it's quote-unquote a parable or a, a true, true story. So in Genesis chapter 2, God's making all this stuff. He made the universe and then he makes man. Everything's good. Everything's good. And he gets to man. He makes man. And, and here's what he says. He says, it is not good. This is the first not good in the Bible, if you're reading it, for man to be alone. So he made this one man, and he's by himself. Evidently, animal kingdom, there's, there's male and female, but not, not, not mankind at this point. So he says, I'm going to make a helper who is just right for him. Some translations use the word completer, all right? somebody to balance him out, so to speak. <clears throat> Somebody's put it this way, if the two of you are alike, one of you is not necessary, right? So you want somebody that is different, but adds to, or balances, or completes. Now, if you're single and want to stay single, I believe God can complete you. Uh, but in this case, for most of us, there is a completion process that comes through marriage. And so he says, make this helper who is just right for him. So I try to think of a catchy phrase that would help us remember how important this was. So this is what I came up with. Don't let your marriage slip, because everything slips if you don't work on it, right? Everything drifts downhill, downstream, got to paddle upstream. So make it an equal partnership. One of the best ways you can avoid that in marriage is make it an equal partnership. Another thing I encourage you to do is this. Cultivate a grateful heart. Cultivate a grateful heart. Now, (laughs) when we're dating, we're always pretty much thankful for our spouses, right? Or our future spouses and for their personalities. You know, my wife's, you know, this, my girlfriend, whatever, my fiance, oh, she's so uh, uh, just energetic. She's so sporadic, you know, she just, you know, does things serendipitous. It's just so much fun. And then after you get married, the same, per- what, what's changed? A ring on the finger, and all of a sudden, you know, she's just kind of disorganized and, and not, uh, you know, planning ahead. And, uh, you know, the same person, uh, but what we were thankful for before we got married, after we got married, it becomes an area of uh, irritation or, or aggravation. <clears throat> so back to our story in Genesis. Um, it goes on, he, meaning Adam, gave names to the livestock and the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. So he's, all these people, are, all these animals, creatures are going by, but there's no helper just right for him. So, you know, he sees the horses and the cows and the pigs and the chickens and dogs and cats and so forth. And some of you have pets and love your pets, but they're still not the same as a, another human being. It's just a difference, right? So he said, just, none of these are just right, okay? So it's not good that, God be, that man be alone, and, 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 and none of these are su- creatures are supplying the, the, uh, solving the problem, supplying the answer. So the passage goes on. Lord God, now you may struggle with this or think, again, you may not believe this is true, but God is God. He can do ba- basically anything he wants, right? So if God wants to do it this way, I don't have any problems with it. So he puts a man, fall into a deep sleep, 
While he slept, the Lord God took out of man the rib and closed up the opening. And then it says, the Lord God made a woman out of the rib and brought her to man. Now, the man was made out of dirt. So I don't know. I don't know if there's some uh, uh, increased quality of the fact that we're made out of rib or dirt. But uh, now we have man and a woman. And so what's Adam's response? And I love this verse. Verse 23 says, at last, I've seen the horses and the cows and and now I have somebody that I can really relate to, I can connect with that is, as he says it here, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she will be called woman because she was taken from man. Uh, I don't know if you heard the joke, but what did God say after he made Adam? Ladies, you'll enjoy this. I can do better than this. (laughs) And then he made woman. So you're an upgrade on us guys, I guess. Um, when you give a gift to somebody, well, you know, it could be your children, friend, whatever, holiday, birthday, whatever it might be. When you give a gift to somebody, almost instantly you can tell if they like it or not, right? Uh, they, you know, they get bright-eyed, excited, wow, this is fantastic, or... Uh, Especially your kids have opened up more than one gift at Christmas time. Uh, pass that one off. As the person that has bought the gift, put time and energy and money into purchase, purchasing the gift, thinking about the person, trying to figure out what they would like, how do you feel when that's, eh? I know how I feel. See what you get next time, you know? See if you get anything next time. All right. So when you buy a gift, what you're looking for most of, most of all is what? A grateful heart, right? So you appreciate the effort, even if, you know, maybe you don't. It's not especially the kind of shirt you would buy for yourself. Anyway. (laughs) I didn't buy the shirt, by the way. Somebody somebody else in my household did. But as I said, you know, got to get out of your comfort zone sometimes. (laughs) So... What you want is appreciation. You want a grateful heart. And so it's nowhere it's more important than a marriage relationship or any relationship. Why is it sometimes, ladies, your husbands will help the neighbor before they'll help you? You got the t- men, we have our t- to-do list, but why would we sometimes run and help our neighbor with something and we have this huge to-do list? Because the neighbor, what's the, the attitude of the neighbor going to be? Well, thank you so much for helping me with this. The wife, not so much. There always seems to be something that's not quite right. We didn't do it soon enough. Or we didn't do it quite right. And, and, you know, just be grateful, right? Have a grateful heart and vice versa. It's not just women with guys, guys, guys with gals. So really important to have a grateful heart. And one more thing here. Make a firm commitment. Make a firm commitment. <clears throat> um, don't approach marriage with, well, if it doesn't work out, we can get divorced. That's horrible. <laughs> All right. This is a commitment for a lifetime. This is until one of us dies. Notice how it's putting it, put in our story here in Genesis. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. They are glued together. And anybody knows anything about wood? When you glue properly glue wood together, that's the last place that'll break. It'll break in the grain before it breaks where it's glued. And divorce is devastating. It's, it, there, there's consequences. It's devastating to, you know, people that tell me this, it's worse than getting a spouse dying. 
Because in death, they didn't make that choice. In divorce, that person making that choice to reject you. And unfortunately, I've not been through that, but some of you have. And God forgives it, gives divorce, but, he, but there's still consequences, especially kids. The, you know, back and forth between parents and then the blended family thing, it's just consequences. But also to the heart and spirit uh, of, of the adults or, or the parents. Um, and then sometimes, you know, one, one spouse or the other will hold that, that D word over the other person and say, if you, don't, you know, if you don't change, I'm leaving. That's really emotional blackmail. That's what that is. And that's just horrible too. So a vow requires work, right? It's a promise. And so it requires work to actually fulfill the promise or the vow. And one other note here. <clears throat> If you're struggling in your marriage, don't hang around people struggling with their marriage. Blew me away, the statistic. 83% of affairs happen between friends. It kind of makes sense, right? Kind of hard to have an affair with somebody you don't know, but um, 83%. So if your marriage is struggling, hang around with people with strong marriages so you can learn and benefit from them. So I'm going to give you some specific homework this week, things to do. And I'm going to kind of flesh these out for you a little bit, tell you what I had in mind anyway. First one's this. Verbalize your commitment to each other. Don't be like the, the, the guy, his wife was complaining, you never say, I love you, you love me anymore. He says, told you once, if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. You know, you said at the wedding vow, you know, I, uh, I'm committed to you for the rest of my life. So take some time, go on a walk, go in the woods, go out to eat and Grab your spouse's hand and look them in the eye and say, hey, you know, in our case, 41 and a half years ago, we walked down that aisle and I want you to know I'm still committed to you today, even more today than I was back then. Verbalize that commitment. Uh, say it more than once. Secondly, be in agreement about every decision. And part of this would be asking forgiveness for, for decisions you made without consulting your spouse. Some of us have done that. And I say, I, I'm sorry I did that. I'm making a commitment to you, a decision right now. I'm not going to make any major purchases and make any major decisions about our lives, our kids, whatever, without uh, uh, equal input. Agreement, every decision. And then last, list your differences and thank God for the completion. As I said, my, uh, my wife tends to be more empathetic than sympathetic than I am. So again, uh, she complete me, completes me in that way. I have some strengths she doesn't have. And so make some lists of those. My wife and I are quite different. And so we, our list would be, would be long. But make a list and say, I thank you that you're a more compassionate person than me. It helps me be a more compassionate person or whatever it might be in your case. So here's our, uh, we call these sticky statements, by the way. Hopefully things that help you remember. So don't let your marriage slip. Make it an equal partnership. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, that puts Jesus there in the center. And if, you, you, if you're not a Jesus follower, I would just encourage you to do that. It makes it so much easier, actually, easier when you have uh, God's uh, power available to you. So let's pray. We'll have a song, let you go. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Father God, thank you. I thank you for the example of Jesus, even though he never was married. He's the example in all relationships. And the example he gave is without love, there, <clears throat> without sacrifice, there isn't love. And 
So he was able to sacrifice even washing disciples' feet when he, being God, so none of us are God and us are lesser than him and, and we should never put a limit on our, our sacrifice and our service. Uh, God help us for areas we've failed, whether we've been divorced or not. Uh, we thank you for forgiveness. Uh, we need to ask that spouse uh, forgiveness. Uh, but there's consequences, and that's tough. Uh, we see it all through the Bible. God forgave, but uh, the sacrifice, the consequences are still there. And then uh, I would pray for anyone, God, that is not a Jesus follower here, has not made that commitment. We would pray the day would be the day that they would do that. Maybe they're struggling in some relationship. Maybe they're struggling in a marriage. And uh, God, what a benefit would be that they would add you uh, <clears throat> to that relationship. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.